0: You're listening to The Farmer's Guardian Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Farmer's Guardian Podcast. I'm Rachel Brown. And I'm Alex Black. And this week, Alex, we've got a real treat for our listeners. You've been speaking to Dr. Claire Whittle. Dr. Claire is a farm vet, but also she has a certain passion for all
1: these tiny
0: little creatures. What are they, Alex?
1: Yeah, so very tiny, but also very important. She's got a passion for dung beetles. And did you know that there are over 60 species of dung beetles in the UK? I have to say, Alex, I did not know that fact, but I do now. Yes, well, certainly I didn't know uh, that either beforehand. So yeah, I caught up with Claire and coming from Liverpool, where there's not a huge association with farming. She's been telling me about her route into becoming a farm vet. So hi, everyone. Um,
2: my name is Whittle. I'm a farm vet. Um, so I tend to work mainly up in dairy practice, probably about 95% dairy, actually, up in the sort of northwest of England, um, top corner of Wales as well. So we cover um, Cheshire, Staffordshire, Shropshire. Um, and then, yeah, just at that little bit of North Wales, which is where I live. Um, I've been a vet for about nine years now. Um, and I've also just launched my own business, which is called the Regenerative Vet. Um, as, which is a consultancy business because I guess I feel like the world just needs one more consultant. <laughs> it's enough of us out there.
1: <laughs> Excellent. And you're you're from Liverpool originally, and obviously not many uh, dairy cows in the centre of Liverpool. How did you get into become a farm vet from from there? Um, yeah, it's a slightly strange one. Um, so actually,
2: I went to university originally. So I did um, French, Spanish, English and Arts for A-levels, which aren't obviously very useful for becoming a vet. Um, but I think I was one of those people who didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'm all, I always admire people who are about 15 years old and pick their GCSEs and know exactly what it is that they plan to do. But that wasn't me. Um, so I just ended up doing what I was good at, which was languages. Um, and um, yeah, I went to Leeds University. I lasted about six weeks doing French and Spanish and um then I um yeah then I left and um went back I just again I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I worked in hospitality for quite a long time uh worked in retail uh and then I think it was probably I was around 22 23 and I just decided that I needed to do something that was a little bit more um fulfilling I guess might be a word so um I looked into being a vet nurse to start with um that was, the, that was the plan, small animals, never really come across cows or sheep or pit other than being out and about um, on holidays and things like that. Um, and I couldn't get a, a place, um, I got a place at college, but I couldn't get a place in a practice. And then somebody just said, have you thought about being a vet? And I was like, well, I haven't got A-levels or anything along those lines. Um it, that are in the right subject area. Um, but that um, I looked into it a bit more and there was a couple of universities, including Liverpool um, and Bristol, I think, and Nottingham was the other one that would take students who'd done an access course in medical science. So I spent another year, went back to college when I was 23, 24, I think. Um, and then, yeah, did this access course in medical science, applied to those universities, got a place at Liverpool, uh, ended up there. And um, yeah, so then basically during your first couple of years at vet school you have to because you you graduate being able to do everything basically um I mean with it so small animals so pets um, equine and farm animal so you have to train in everything and a lot of it is just work experience so trying to gain as much experience as you possibly can in those areas um during your your holidays basically so yeah there isn't a lot of breaks um and basically one of the things you have to do is go and work on a dairy farm and um, so I went to do two weeks dairy placement at the University Dairy Farm, which is based on the Wirral at Leehurst. And uh I loved it. <laughs> I basically fell in love with cows and um that was it really. Um yeah I can not I c I can't I can't explain what happened when I went there. I just I, I don't think I was expecting to enjoy it. And um I just really did. The farm manager, John, um, was just a brilliant teacher as well. So he was just really good. He'd ask I'd ask god thousands of questions all the time and he was just he was just really good very very patient and didn't know I mean I remember now thinking back I couldn't tell the difference um between hay and straw like I literally couldn't tell them apart when they were in bales I remember John asked me to bed the calves up once and um I would thought it was like quite a big job but I was like I've watched him bed the cars up I know what I'm doing bedded the cars up and he came in he said it looks great but next time could you use the straw instead of the hay <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so got things got things wrong um a lot broke a lot of stuff I think as well smacked the tractor up a little bit um but basically after I'd done those two weeks I went back um in the second year second year summer and I did like four months apprenticeship with them um like young stock management and um, basically feeding calves uh looking after young stock um checking on them when they were grazing all that kind of stuff bit of milking as well um but I basically spent my summer there and that was it so totally and completely hooked on um cows <laughs> from then on. And the small animal went out the window.
1: <laughs> and I know you're passionate about regenerative agriculture, which is, you know, it's such a big topic at the moment. Just tell me a little bit about how you got interested in that.
2: Yeah, um, so it's quite it it's I think so. I for someone, so I'd had literally no experience of farming whatsoever um when I graduated. So I just thought I mean I thought and I mean still think (laughs) to a certain extent that all farming was great like I saw everything I saw was brilliant I was obviously learning um didn't know anything about um didn't really have to think about farming and potentially some of the detrimental impacts of it um and it was only I think it was when I was a couple of years graduated and we all know what happened you know what's happened in the press over the last few years and then sort of negative media that's come across about farming a lot of negative press a lot of um interesting stuff about um the environmental impacts and i think that started it started to wear me down i think as much as it wears a lot of farmers down too um, just people talking about how how terrible the industry was and i, I guess i started to look into it a little bit more um, and there are some, you know, there are some problems. We, we know we have them. I don't think we're always particularly good at owning up to them, but we should do when we need to face facts that there are definitely some issues there. Um, but one of the things I came across was while I was looking into it was obviously um, regenerative farming. But the the way it came about for me, um, I guess, and the, the really interesting one is someone suggested to me while going through all of this that I read um, Wilding by Isabella Tree. Um, which is all about the NEPA state down in Sussex. And it was actually, it was just one part of that book, really, that stood out to me. And it was the bit that, so I basically found out that we had dung beetles in the UK. So I never even knew we had dung beetles in the UK. I only ever saw them on those David Attenborough shows, those big rolling beetles in in Africa. And yeah, never assumed we had them. And then B, I guess the, the most interesting point in that was that I found out that the drugs that I prescribe as a vet have these sort of, hugely detrimental impacts on 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 beetles and potentially the wider ecosystem and I think I was I was just surprised to find that out I was surprised that nobody had told me that that was a problem I'd gone through university just believing that that was you know all the worming products that we use etc were all fine I didn't really have any second thoughts about any unintended consequences of what we were using and then when I went to look further for more information Um, there wasn't a lot out there in terms of what was available to farmers and then um, basically another farmer James Allen so he farms um, down near Sirencester um, he got in touch and said um, he'd seen a few things on Twitter and he was getting a group together of people to try including entomologists farmers and obviously a vet um, to try and produce um, a resource for farmers to be able to to find out about dung beetles and potentially as well basically the point is to improve the conservation status of dung beetles throughout the uk by hope hopefully providing pragmatic information not ridiculous things that people aren't able to achieve on their own farm and i'm just i can't believe how much it took off really i think we launched it in about 2020 um and then yeah it's, it, I mean, it's manic i mean my summers now are basically spent up and down the uk talking to farmers about um about dung beetles and about sustainable parasite control and trying to use less chemicals um, in terms of what porons or whether it's fly treatments or wormers or any of those products as well. Um, and yeah, I think that was the start of the start of how I got interested in regenerative because I think there was this realisation that there's all of these other creatures that are out there that rely, on, um, that rely on cows and rely on sheep to be out there. But obviously, yeah, in terms of what we what what we use what we've done what what chemicals are available to us we just need to think about how we how we're using them more sustainably um and yeah that that was the start for me but everything sort of relies on everything else i guess and uh, my bit of a quote now is that we should be thinking about healthy livestock in in healthy ecosystems
1: yeah and i suspect there's a lot of people even within the agriculture industry that are you know in the same boat as you on on dung beetles you know not knowing very much about them certainly here in the UK what what do farmers need to know about them in, in your opinion well oh, matey I could go on forever <laughs> I think they're the best <laughs> things
2: I did say once that I thought they might be more important than earthworms but I, I think I might have to retract that comment a little bit <laughs> I just find them so fascinating but yeah I think the important things is that farmers realize that how important that they are to them on the on, on the farm themselves um so they are in fact nature's sort of natural parasite control. Um, so there's um, studies now done that show that they can reduce parasite burden by, by around 30%, um, which is pretty phenomenal really when we think about it. But the problem is we've, we've lost a lot of them. Um, but because of, the way potentially because of the way we farm potentially because of habitat loss lots of there's lots of reasons agriculture is one of them and um, but you know we're seeing biodiversity loss on a global scale now of around 70% and dung beetles are, are part of that as well but they're really important so they obviously they reduce parasite burden so they do that by what they, the, the dwelling dung beetles do we have two types in the UK um, we've got dwellers and we've got tunnelers um, the dwelling ones spend their entire life cycle in the pat and they literally suck the liquid out of the dung pat so they, they drink dung effectively um, and what that does is that dries that pat out and that makes it unsuitable for our parasitic flies or our parasitic worms that cause problems in our livestock to be able to complete their life cycle and the other really cool thing they do is they carry um, they have a symbiotic relationship with something called a phoretic mite and uh, the mite basically uses the dung beetle like an aeroplane um, so it hops on the dung beetle in the pat the dung beetles fly from pat to pat and the phoretic mites come off in the pat and they um, are they basically um predate on um sort of parasitic fly eggs and things like that so they're very very cool and I imagine the symbiosis potentially comes from them having um they probably eat the things that would eat dung beetle larvae as well um but yeah they do I mean and they've got you've got the tunnelling species that sort of improve the quality of the structure of soil as well um because the, the tunneling ones can tunnel really far down, so they can go up to two metres down into the soil. Um, and when you lift pats up and you see all these holes underneath and you think about what they do for sort of soil aeration, um, improving that, that, that structure there as well and reducing nutrient runoff potentially too, um, yeah they're just they're phenomenal insects they're also really important prey species so they're really important prey for other other birds so uh, wading birds little owls hedgehogs things like that as well um and there's uh, work been done to show that show that you have greater horseshoe bat populations in areas if you have quilom- um, livestock within four kilometers of their roosting sites as well so yeah so uh great <laughs> they're just great I and mean, reducing greenhouse gas emissions i mean there's just it, the list goes on i could talk about them for days <laughs>
1: fascinating um and you know obviously as a farm vet you know your kind of primary focus is on animal health how does that kind of animal health and regenerative farming go hand in hand
2: yeah so I suppose it's suppose an easier place to start with is is that will be to start with the dung beetle so if we think that they can reduce parasite burdens yet yeah, the the some of the chemical treatments that we use can also affect can affect them we're effectively sort of killing nature's own own parasite um control by by some of the products we use without necessarily thinking about it and i think that would be i would be as guilty of that as anybody else so i think so if if we go if you use that as an example what my then primary focus will be when I'm talking about parasite control is reducing the use of those that chemical control and I think that's what a lot of regenerative is isn't it it's about reducing inputs it's about reducing costs as well you know my my future is not only as a vet but as a food eating human if you like it relies on on resilient farms that can reduce their input so potentially talking about costs, there obviously we've got problems with wormer resistance we've had that for years and the sheep industry know it well you know we we've got some wormers they are that what we've got is what's available as far as I know there's not any new wormers coming to market and it doesn't matter what we use ultimately anyway to me because nature always wins it always out it always out it outwits us so for example we had um scops did some work where they looked at um the rate of resistance so when we had our white worms introduced in the 60s it took about 20 odd years before we had the first case of resistance and when we had orange worms came in in 2010 and then we had resistance to them within about eight years so whatever we do Nature knows best, it outwits us, we we create resistance problems by using these products, so how can we use less? Um, So we'll talk about prevention, we'll talk about assessment and treatment options as well, but always going back to prevention, and I think we sometimes, even as vets, we almost... And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily vet's fault. And I would, again, I would certainly be guilty of this thing. Sometimes I find where we stick plasters on things all the time. It's, it's quite difficult to get to the root cause when you get called out to a particular problem. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's where I go with it really is trying to understand that root cause, um, identifying it and then, and then working from there. Um, And that's for me how it fits in with regenerative. And a lot of people doing regenerative would do holistic management as well. And that again talks about finding out that root cause and trying to solve that rather than just popping a plaster over it all the time. And unfortunately, with the problem with wormers we've got at the moment is if we just keep doing that, if we keep using wormers over and over again, we're just going to get more and more resistance problems. And then if they don't work, we need to, we're going to be in a pickle. So we need to try and use. And Bruce Thompson always says, who's our dairy farmer who uh in, in Ireland who he's a Nuffield scholar, he did his, his Nuffield on um on dung beetles. He says that we should use as little as possible, but as much as is necessary. And I would agree with that across um, I guess lots of different types of farming systems, really.
1: And I know that the farm vet sector in particular is, you know, it, it is a struggle on on recruitment and I suppose especially attracting people from from backgrounds like yourself that is coming from outside the agriculture industry what would you say you know about those issues and, and about attracting people into the sector it's a really interesting one isn't it we were talking I was talking about this the other day we were talking about attracting
2: vets into into farming I think it's farming is really attractive <laughs> like I think it's such I mean I I always go back to John at the at the farm that I first worked at I mean it was just incredible just so open to the questions and it What I mean don't get me wrong you need someone on the other end who's also willing to learn I guess that's the other thing but you the fact I think when people are open to um open to it and open to having students and open to those questions and having you know open door policies on farms and things like that it does make it a hell of a lot easier it's such a great job you get to be outside all year round um yeah I, I mean like, yeah it's, it's a it's a brilliant job and it's a, it, the whole industry is brilliant but we I don't know why we're not so good at attracting people in um from from different backgrounds because I mean one of the things I always people a lot of a lot of jobs I see particularly now and I see this for um across the board potentially in, in all walks of agriculture people want experience and I don't know if that's necessarily always a good thing you know it can be if people come with experience but the other thing is if someone comes with no experience, you can teach them exactly how you want things done on your farm. You know, they come with no preconceptions, they come with no bad habits. You can actually train somebody to be exactly who you want them to be for your farm. So I don't think experience necessarily um or is always a good thing. Sometimes it, yeah, as I say, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I think being open to those different, those different um people different opportunities different challenges etc can be really really useful and there are people out there who really want to do it and yeah the vet thing is is an interesting one too I mean I know a lot of my small animal colleagues for example they don't do any on call now so you know they um (laughs) they have different practices that do the on call for the night shifts that can put some people off you know the the work-life balance is probably slightly different um but our practice for example where very good you know very good in terms of on call the supports st- the support structure is really good and I think that's really important for having something like that in place for new graduates as well because it can be a scary world it's not it's very different speaking to a small animal owners versus speaking to a farmer I think that's the other thing to remember so um yeah they know farmers know a lot and uh, it can be quite intimidating at times <laughs> um yeah, it's it's difficult to pull the wool over people's eyes. And, and you know, as I say, that background knowledge that farmers have is so impressive. They know their animals, they know their stocks, they know what they've seen before. And you're going out to a slightly different experience. But just being aware, you know, yeah, every being kind, <laughs>
1: just be kind. I suppose it's a very different thing as well, being handed kind of a rabbit at a vet practice and being faced with a, with a cow or a, or a sheep or a goat, isn't it? Exactly, and you
2: don't often have the other thing with farm animal is it's often you. It's you know it's you going out on your own. You don't you can't you can't go into the back of the vet practice and have a conversation often with um with other vets very easily or with a vet nurse or something. You know it's it's often just you on farm. I remember running back to my car a couple of times when I first graduated to ring somebody about things. People are actually fine about it, um, but I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves too.
0: Such a fascinating chat there, Alex. Who knew there was so much to learn about dung beetles? So thank you so much, Dr. Claire, And obviously, Dr. Claire is one of our fantastic ambassadors for this year's Farm 24 campaign.
1: Yes, and we've got an exciting podcast for you, uh, a special one next week with some more of our farming ambassadors, so that'll be a great one not to miss. And as we're gearing up for the big day, we want you to get involved with Farm24, so you can still download your pledge online and take a photo or a video of yourself backing the campaign. And then on the day, of course, we want you to share as many photos and videos on your social media as you can. And you're doing a special challenge for it, Rachel. Tell us a little bit about it.
0: Yes so I have no idea what I've let myself in for but I am really determined to take part in this challenge. Essentially it is a wall sit challenge. Now what that involves Alex is you are leaning against the wall in a squat position and it's meant to cause a bit of pain to your knees but it's all worth it because we are raising awareness of Farm24 and the fantastic industry that we are all in.
1: And you're sharing this on your social media and then you'll be nominating people won't you? Yes, exactly that. It's not just me that's going through the pain.
0: I will be nominating two people and I already have an idea of who I want to nominate. I will be nominating Nigel Owens. So Nigel, if you're listening to this, prepare to take part in the Wall Sit Challenge, all in the aid of Farm 24.
1: And that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back with another episode for you next Friday. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now.